Morning, everyone, and happy Thanksgiving. As, as we get started with today's message, I would encourage you to uh, pray for me. Uh, we're heading out after uh, services today to uh, Brampton for a big uh, turkey dinner with my in-laws. And so I'm, like, like most of you, I'm kind of starting to think about that already, you know, the, the dinner, the fixings. And unlike you, all I need to do is reach out right here, and I can kind of start in on the... Uh, uh, getting a little bit of food, and I, I don't want to do that, so if you'd uh, just pray for my self-control, and we will uh, look to the scriptures today. Um, some of you are traveling, and um, probably many of you at some point have traveled through Chicago's O'Hare International Airport. Uh, you may not know where the name came from, though. Uh, Chicago O'Hare was named after uh, a man named Butch O'Hare. He was... Uh, uh, a World War II fighter pilot who served on an aircraft carrier in the South Pacific. He was actually out on a, on a mission when he looked down at his uh, gauge and noticed that somebody had forgotten to top up his, his fuel tank. And so he was uh, finding himself realizing, I'm not going to be able to complete this mission and also get back to the aircraft carrier from which I was sent from. So he decided, I've got to break from the formation, and return uh, on my own, had, had to return on his own to uh, the aircraft carrier. As he approached the aircraft carrier, though, he saw that there was a squadron of Japanese Zeros that were uh, approaching the, the carrier and about to make an attack. All of the other uh, uh, American fighters were, were out on patrol, out on various uh, sorties, and so he found himself alone and decided to do the heroic thing of uh, facing them, confronting them, and uh, somehow managed to take, take down three of these uh, uh, approaching bombers, and the other six decided um, we could end up facing the same... Uh, uh, the same end, and they turn around, turned around and saved this, uh, uh, the aircraft carrier and the fleet that, uh, that, that was otherwise going to be vulnerable. He was uh, the first naval recipient of the Medal of, Honor, Medal of Honor in World War II, and when this uh, airport was built, it was his name that they decided to attach to it. There's another man, though, who never had an airport named after him. He went by the name Easy Eddie. Easy Eddie was a lawyer, but he decided that he would make his money as a lawyer by protecting Al Capone. Easy Eddie kept Capone out of jail despite the, the bootlegging and the murder and the prostitution by which he ran from the, uh, uh, his, his uh, home base in Chicago. Capone rewarded Eddie with riches and luxury, and he led, in many respects, uh, uh, a, a life of luxury. He was able to, for instance, give his son everything that money could buy. But he knew that one day his criminal involvement would probably cost his family and, and likely his son uh, huge, uh, huge consequences. And so in 1931, he made a decision that he knew would likely cost him his life. Many of the events of this have been, have been brought to the screen in the movie Untou The Untouchables, um, but he turned state informant against Al Capone and was a key witness in his tax evasion uh, uh, trial. He was actually uh, 
able to work with the authorities to break the code that the bookkeepers had used uh, to uh, uh, eventually uh, bring him down for tax evasion. For his part in that decision, he was gunned down while he was driving his Lincoln Zephyr and may have, uh, in, in doing so, uh, lost his life, but may have, in doing so, helped to distance his family from these mob connections, the, uh, uh, the, the connections that would have forever plagued them as a family and as his son grew up and uh, wanting to make uh, a life for himself, he would be, uh, in a sense, cleared of his father's name. That sacrifice also was believed to have earned his son a place at the United States Naval Academy, where that son, whose name is Butch O'Hare, went on to be trained and became that courageous pilot in World War II. Even people who kind of make a mess of things in various aspects of their life have the potential to uh, make incredible sacrifices for their children. There's something about being entrusted with a life that causes someone to want to, to do things that are, are, there's a goodness that comes out that is beyond them often. There's a desire to sacrifice beyond the typical sacrifices that people will often make. And if God has entrusted you with a child, probably some of those same desires are in your own heart. A desire to sacrifice, a desire to do something good, a desire to do something, something worthy and valuable for this child that God has put in your, in your arms. But as we do that, we need wisdom to navigate through the challenges. We need help in trying to sort through the path that you will take. How do I do that? How do I make a difference in the life of my child? We're in a series called Ancient Wisdom, and what we've been doing is going back to the 3,000-year-old book of Proverbs and saying, what does God's wisdom teach us about how we can face the big challenges of our day? And today we are going to look at what does the book of Proverbs teach us about uh, parenting, about making a sacrifice and investing in the life of the children that God has uh, given us. The first jolt that we get as we come to Proverbs is a reorientation of our goal in parenting. What is it that we're actually doing? The task determines the tactic. So we need to understand what is this task? What exactly are we doing when we are uh, uh, parenting our, our kids? What is the goal? The task will determine the tactic. So we need to agree and understand how God sees the, the goal of parenting. Before we look at what Proverbs gives as a goal, I would like to consider what I think are the main competitors to the goal that the, that the book of Proverbs would put forward for us. Some parenting goals that miss the point. At the top of the list has to be the goal of trying to make your child successful. Academic, athletic, and professional achievement dominate this vision of the, the goal for, for parenting. And probably Michael Jackson is the most famous product of this particular parenting philosophy. He described his his father's parenting approach like this. He said, My father seemed intent above all else on making us 
a commercial success, obviously referring to him and his, his, uh, his siblings. But he said, what I wanted was a dad. I wanted a father who showed me love. And my father never did that. Other parents don't look to success as the goal. They see parenting as basically about trying to keep your child safe, trying to protect your child from the evils and dangers of the world. In North America, we've developed the term helicopter parents, right? There was ones who will swoop up and and, uh, fly in to protect their children from anything that might come, come upon us. But Helicopter parenting is actually not just a North American thing. It's not an even, even just an English-speaking world thing. It is a global phenomenon. I, I learned this week that actually in Scandinavia, they don't call them helicopter parents. They call them curling parents. And the idea is that the father and mother are, are like those, they're, 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 they're um, scraping down the ice in front of the rock, here being the child, so that any, any of those bumps that might come in the, in, for the children, they might be smoothed out and that they'd be able to have this, this uh, uh, conflict-free, danger-free, obstacle-free life. And, and that's really the goal of parenting. Just keep sweeping so that your child has this nice, smooth path. Keeping your child safe and free from any obstacles you may see as the goal of parenting. Another major temptation is to make parenting attempt to be your child's friend. Oh, I just want them to love me. And there's, there's, a, lot, there's, there's a lot of good in, in wanting, wanting your child, uh, wanting to love your child and to, to do right by your child. But here the goal is really to treat the child as the parent's new BFF, to, to be all that, Uh, all that a a friend should be, you look for that friendship in your child. Country singer Garth Brooks had this to say about uh, this parenting uh, style. He said, many parents try to be a friend to their children. My children already have enough friends. They need me to be a parent and to show them right from wrong. In rejecting one parenting style, he actually introduces another. And this is, he says, I'm not going to be a friend to my children. They need a parent. And he defines parent as, as uh, showing them right from wrong. It, it's the moral coach uh, strategy or goal of, uh, of parenting that he holds up. He sees parenting as an, an attempt to make your child act good. And you may see that as, a, as, as, your, as your goal as a parent. That may be what, what you're aiming at. Finally, because we're at church, we'd be remiss not to mention the philosophy of seeing parenting as trying to give your children a little religion. Whatever that religion might be, you want to just, a little bit of, of something must be good. The, the children should have some, some basic understanding of, of the things of God. And you might see parenting basically as that's the strategy. That's what the goal is. As we look, though, at the 3,000-year-old book of Proverbs, I think we'll see that all of those parenting goals seem to miss the mark. They seem to miss the point. In Proverbs, the first goal of parenting is to untangle the foolishness that will otherwise choke the well-being of a child. To untangle the foolishness that will, that will choke a, a child's well-being. I want to look at some specific verses with you. 
First of all, Proverbs 22.15 makes this jarring declaration that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Folly or foolishness in the book of Proverbs isn't just childishness. Childishness is what I did when I first met, uh, well, in the only time that I met my Swedish grandmother, uh, made the visit to Sweden, trying to make a good impression. I'm sitting in the high chair, and uh, someone was good enough and generous enough to give, give me a big, probably far too big of a bowl of chocolate pudding. And the parents and the, the grown-ups at this point got a little too absorbed in conversation to really worry about me and, and what I might be doing. And I thought it'd be really cool. This chocolate pudding was so neat. I thought it would look great on the ceiling. And so took my spoon and proceeded to sling it as far as I could. And I was actually quite successful at that goal. But nobody seemed as satisfied or in my accomplishments as I, as I was. And I was, uh, I was promptly uh, uh, made to know that what I had done was not, not had met the pleasure of either my grandmother or anyone else in the room. Now, that was childishness. This is talking about foolishness. And foolishness, particularly in the scriptures, in the book of Proverbs, is a different thing. Foolishness is, first of all, an orientation away from God. It's an orientation towards what we'll see as self-rule. Psalm 53.1 teaches that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, when it says that folly is bound, and it's the same, uh, the, the same root here, foolishness, folly, the fool, when it says that folly is bound up in the heart of a child, it's not saying that children are born like philosophical atheists. It's not, it, it's not that kind of thing. If anything, children are quite open to the idea of God. And children don't, it's not a big stretch for a four-year-old to, to imagine uh, an all-powerful being that created all things. It's not saying that. But there is a propensity to self-rule. There is, it bound up in the heart of a child, a, 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 a sense of wanting to live as if there's no God, or as if they're their own God. Proverbs 12.15 puts it like this. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. At the heart of folly is an unwillingness to accept uh, input and a conviction that I know what is best for my life and I'm going to live that life. Foolishness is a bent towards independence, an inclination that you're right. It's a conviction that you, uh, you, know, you know the path and so you don't need wisdom from the outside. You don't need to receive from others. And the scriptures teach that it is bound up in the heart of a child. Foolishness is like a cord. That, that word bound up is deliberate. It's, it's like it's tangled all around the heart and it will, if left un, unaddressed, will choke the spiritual well-being of a child and it will warp and distort the moral compass of a child. It's bound up in the heart of a child. And that's why most of the, most of the parenting goals, which you may have heard and thought, that doesn't seem like such a bad thing to aim at. That's why when you see that this is the problem that children are born with, 
that's why these various parenting goals miss the mark. For instance, you can't just focus on a child's success because if folly is still bound up in their heart, you will create a very successful monster, a very successful but also a very selfish individual. You can't just focus on keeping a child safe because if the real problem is that folly is bound up in their heart, then the biggest danger they face is what's inside. So just keeping on sweeping isn't going to solve the problem. You can't just try to be your child's friend because a child's biggest need is not just for more friends. They need help dealing with the folly in their heart. And that's something that only a parent can give. And you can't just try and change their behavior or add a little bit of religion because those ultimately are just superficial solutions to a problem that goes much, much deeper. A parent needs to untangle the foolishness that will choke a child's well-being. And that's going to take more than just teaching a little bit bit of manners and adding a few prayers. It's got to reach to the heart. Proverbs 29.15 warns that a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Here the verse isn't just talking about, uh, like, when you go to the mall, don't leave your child in the car, or, you know, it's, it's not talking, you know, how, how terrible a thing it is when a child is left alone to, to finish off their math homework, you know, they really need some help. Th- those, are, those are important things. But here the warning is that a child with foolishness bound up in their heart left to somehow just figure it out on their own, won't end up well. They will bring shame to their parents. Shame because people will see the end product and conclude, boy, that that hard work of, of addressing the foolishness in the heart was never done. And the child was left to kind of figure it out for themselves. And that wasn't fair to the child. And now here they are, as an adult, they've gone through, they've missed the, that window of parenting. The, the cement has been set and the, the folly's still there. If you have children, helping to untangle them from that bent towards self-rule is the biggest challenge and the biggest task that you've been given. And while Proverbs addresses a strategy for dealing with it, for most parents, it's not the tips that they need. It's not a few methods. It's really the resolve to to face this goal and to face it head on. Often we first need to confront our own foolishness, the the foolishness that's bound up in our own hearts. Because we don't like the Bible to tell us what to do, especially in this area of parenting. We we can kind of get a little uptight when it comes to the Scriptures telling us how to treat and respond to and to direct the life of the child that God has given us. And we need to confront our resolve for the task. Because if we had an infinite amount of time and there wasn't anything else on the schedule, maybe we could give a lot of time to this. But the reality is that most of us are overworked. We don't have enough sleep. We don't have enough margin. Don't have enough energy. And it's just way too easy to park the child in front of the iPad and pretend that we didn't see it. Pretend that we didn't see the folly. Pretend that we didn't hear the foolishness. Pretend that the defiance really is something that, 
hey, this is just a phase. They'll grow out of it. It's not such a big deal. Now, the rapper Snoop Dogg isn't usually my go-to for role models in, in many areas of life. I mean, he's, he's not, right? He doesn't have it all together, and, and he probably would, if he was here, would say, look, I, I'm, I'm not a role model for, for, for anyone in many areas. His resolve, however, in the area of parenting is, at least by his words, is something that is commendable. He said this, My children need a full-time father, and no matter what else I may decide to do or not do, that's one job I'll never take for granted. It's the number one priority in my life. Proverbs will give us the goal. It defines the task. And before you think of anything else in parenting, before you buy another book or think of another method, the question I think we all need to ask ourselves is will we accept the task that, the, that Proverbs would lay out as the calling of parenting? And would we all give ourselves to a Snoop Dogg resolve to that task? To give ourselves to untangling the folly that is bound up in the heart of every child. If you will, then the next step that Proverbs would give is a warning that parenting requires training, not just expectations. Christian parents whose eyes are open to the task and the problem can actually make things worse, not better, if they don't bring some help to the problem. If all you bring is expectations, not training, you will actually create a burden and an expectation a burden of weight upon your child that will make them worse, not better. Parenting requires training, not just expectations. Proverbs 22.6 is a well-known but notoriously misunderstood verse in this regard. The verse says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, the first thing you need to know is that train up is an unexpected word here. It only occurs five times in the Bible. Twice it's, refer, twice it's used to refer to dedicating a house that someone has built. And the other two times it's referring to the dedication of the temple. Solomon uses the word in referring to dedicating the, the temple to God. Here the sense is that to, the sense is to dedicate a child to a certain path, to initiate them in a path of wisdom. It's like attaching training wheels to them and, and setting them on this path with deep grooves in the, in the direction of wisdom. The path is here called the way he should go. In Proverbs, there are two ways that are constantly put forward. There are two, two ways, there are two roads, there are uh, two, uh, uh, two, two paths that a, a child can take. One is the way of wisdom, and one is the way of foolishness. A parent is to initiate a child in the way of wisdom. The way it's, and, and the way of wisdom is, the, is, a, is the, the fear of the Lord. It is a sense of reverence before God that sees all of life in light of all that God is. The second half of the verse says, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's true. 
But it's true as a proverb, not as a promise. Proverbs will state general truths without dealing with the exceptions. And we know this instinctively from the way we use Proverbs in all of life. But for some reason, when we come to the book of Proverbs, because it's the Bible, we kind of throw out our our instinctual sense of of what Proverbs are and try to treat it as if if it's something else. For example, we, uh, we all know the proverb, the pen is mightier than the sword. That's true, right? A, a well-crafted and well-articulated ideas and opinions have the, uh, have the power to influence people in a way that military action often can't. The pen is mightier than the sword. But if someone is mugging you at, 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 at 11 o'clock at night and they've got, a, they've got a sword to your throat, nobody's thinking, well... Good thing I, I, I don't have to worry here because I brought my pen. Like, they, you're, nobody is thinking that this is somehow going to get them off the hook. The proverb is still true, but it, it applies to a certain situation, and it's not a promise. It, doesn't, it, de- it deals with a particular truth without um, cr- dealing with any of the exceptions. And that's what proverbs do. They state general truths without dealing with the exceptions. Children who are effectively trained in the way they should go, go usually and often continuing on that path. But sometimes children who have been lovingly initiated on a path of wisdom choose foolishness anyway. And if you don't believe that, ask God how he made out with Adam and Eve. They, they did not follow the path. He lovingly served them. He lovingly blessed them. He warned them. He instructed them. And they reached out and took the fruit. So it's true, but it is true as a proverb, not as a promise. Parents are called to teach and model the path of godly wisdom for their children. Proverbs 13.1 says, A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer doesn't listen to rebuke. Proverbs calls fathers to teach their children. It's a call to read the Bible to them. It's a call to discuss the Bible with them, to to explain the Bible to them, and to live out the Bible before them. It, it's, it's a call to all of those things. Now, can Sunday school help? Absolutely. Is youth group a, is a good thing? I, I, of course it is. But if it isn't also happening in the home, a child is left in the dangerous position of having to say, the youth leader is teaching me something, but my parents don't seem to think that it's important enough to teach me themselves or to talk about it themselves or to, to share about it in any of our conversations. And, and, and then the youth leader is trying to create, communicate the sense of urgency about what the scriptures teach, but there seems to be a disconnect with what happens in the home. Don't expect your child to walk in a path of wisdom that you haven't talked about, that you haven't taught, that you haven't trained and initiated them in. Teach your child wisdom and do it passionately. Do it persuasively. Now, do you notice how this verse says that a wise son hears his father's instruction? I I don't want to let fathers off the hook. I I think a wise son also listens to his mother's instruction. But it's curious to me, it doesn't just say a wise son hears God's instruction. Proverbs 4, 3, 3 and 4 is even stronger. There the father says to his son, hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. 
Do you know why? Do you know why he, he, he will put, like, hear my, hear my commandments and live. He's saying this is life and death. Listen to what I'm telling you. He's not just saying, listen to what God's telling you. He's saying, listen to what I'm telling you. This is, this is life and death. It's because a child's response to his parents' wisdom will often mirror the child's response to God. A child's response to her, her, her mother's and father's wisdom is life and death. There's way more at stake than whether your child will put on their rain boots with the, when there's puddles out. How they respond to your instructions will become a pattern for how they will respond to God's instructions. So the rain boots, the rain boots now become a question of how they're going to respond to the closest thing to God in their life how they're going to respond to authority in their life, how they're going to respond to wisdom in their life. Will they accept criticism? Will they listen to instruction? Ultimately, it's a battle with the folly bound up in their heart, and it's life and death. And it's important enough that we need to take the time to teach our children. But too many times, parents stop there. Proverbs warns said. Parenting requires more than just words. A parent's threatening and repeating cannot be the consequence for foolishness and defiance. Parenting requires more than just words. I'm going to return to a couple of verses that I read only partially earlier. You remember the verse I read earlier about a child left to himself bringing shame to his mother? Let me read the whole verse now. Proverbs 29.15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his his mother. Reproof here is just verbal correction. We need to explain that what happened was wrong and why it was wrong. But it says that wisdom comes from the rod and reproof. Reproof alone won't do. Now, just so there's no misunderstanding, the rod here is not like some metal pipe or something. It's... It's, it's not. It's, it, it's typically uh, uh, referring to a, a branch of some sort that was used in physical correction, okay? It was, it was uh, painful enough to sting, but never to injure. It, it's, a, it's a picture of physical discipline that will sting without harming. How about the other verse that we read about falling be, folly being bound up in a child's heart? The entire verse reads, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. It's the rod of discipline that will drive out the folly. The whole book of Proverbs speaks of a parent's loving relationship with their child, so please do not misunderstand this. There is a tenderness that's being communicated. There is compassion. There is understanding. There is great love. There is an inordinate amount of time that goes into training in advance and explaining things to a child. So this isn't encouraging or allowing abuse of any kind whatsoever. But it is saying that there are some problems that you cannot talk your way out of. And if that's your only strategy as a parent, Proverbs will say you may accomplish many things as a parent, but you will not untangle the folly that's bound up in their heart. Words alone don't communicate the seriousness of sin or the foolishness and its consequences. 
Proverbs 29.19 warns of this in a slightly different context. It says, By mere words, a servant is not disciplined. For though he understands, he will not respond. Anybody seen this in a child? Oh, they get it. They understand it all right. They know exactly what's taking place right here. But they want to know what's behind the words. They want to know, is your talk cheap? Do your words have weight? They got it. They got it all figured out, and they want to know how much you mean it. And you're thinking, but I asked her so nicely, what's wrong? Why aren't they responding the way I thought they would? And this verse describes why. In that moment, your child is testing your resolve. Too often our problem in treating defiance with young children is that we've brought a knife to a gunfight. There is, is an inability with just words to handle the defiance and the foolishness that we see in front of us. Now you might be thinking, that's, that's probably just the way they did things back then. All parents were like that and you know we're kind of more modern and, and, and enlightened. But physical discipline for foolishness in young children is something that even 3,000 years ago, parents struggled with. Look at Proverbs 13.24. It warns, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. You know why they needed to write that? Because there were lots of parents that thought that this would kind of be hard to do. There's an emotional struggle attached to it. This verse sets up the challenge to physically discipline a child's defiance as a test of love for the child. Because the temptation is to make parenting about becoming the child's friend. And it's, it's, it's ch- the challenge is to make pa- parenting often, it, the, the temptation to make it about our needs, our needs for affirmation and friendship and for the child to like us at all times. It's that approval that we're seeking from our children. But seeking to find those needs in our children is unfair to them because it only strengthens the grip of foolishness that, has, that foolishness has on their heart. In our generation, I think too many people have heard a caricature of physical discipline, a, a caricature of uh, something that is far from, uh, from what the scriptures teach, and, and so they've just given up on it altogether. And if, if that caricature was all I knew, I would say, don't do that. Like, don't have any part of, uh, of, of that um, evil, unthinking, uncaring, unloving uh, response of a parent. But the discipline Proverbs is advocating here never injures, only stings. It's never about punishment. It's always about repentance. It's never a response to your anger, but always a response to a child's defiance. It's never directed at childishness, but always directed at foolishness. And it's never done in a spirit of revenge, but always done from a heart of concern. This is how God disciplines us. He does. And he does it out of love for us. And having received his love, and yes, his loving discipline, he calls us to do the same with our children. As we do, Hebrews 12, 11 holds out this hope. 
For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This was a short message on a massive topic on a weekend when most of us are thinking about Turkey, not on our parenting skills. And so I I just want to... This is a... uh, uh, a warning on this message. It's, it's not enough time really to deal with these things. It's just, to, just enough time to scratch the surface. I, I'd encourage you to, uh, to be a part of uh, the parenting, parenting seminar that we're, we're going to do on the 15th and the 29th. I would encourage you to take your outlines today and go home and look up the verses and think through what, is the script, what are the scriptures actually teaching and how do they apply to my life? And then get some parents that have some more experience and wisdom than, than you do and, and, and bring them your questions. You can bring me your questions, but bring, bring them to someone with some more wisdom. But let's ask God for his help and let's give ourselves to the tasks that God's given us. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for the children of our church. Would you lead them in a path of wisdom? Would you... Guard them from the allure of foolishness. Give them ears to listen to instruction. Give them hearts that would be open to your word. Father, I pray for the parents here today. I pray that you'd help them to pour their time and energy into the greatest need their children face. Don't let them get distracted by parenting goals that leave their children to face the foolishness of their heart on their own. Help them to dedicate their children to the path of wisdom. Help them to train them in it faithfully. And give them the courage to use more than words when necessary. Father, give all of us grace to faithfully pray for and encourage the children of this church. For we ask you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.